Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday, another week, to reflect into the richness and the beauty of our Christian and Catholic faith. If you are a faithful listener, you know well that what we do here from one week to the next is just not only engage the biblical text, specifically the book of Genesis, but uh, Father Mike joins me on Wednesday, and we talk uh, cinema shop, if you will, finding Christ in cinema, and maybe where we might see redemptive and spiritual themes in the movies we watch. And then on Thursday, I respond to your questions, right? And uh, this Thursday, I think we are going to probably deal with something in the area of the resurrection for sure. And as far as Wednesday goes, uh, not only will Father Mike be with me, but also Chris Seibert will be with me. It has been quite some time since he has joined me. So uh, we are going to talk about the movie Paul, the Apostle of Christ. There have been a lot of requests to talk about that movie, and I was hoping to talk about it last week, but it just didn't work out. So certainly it is fitting we talk about it this week, mindful of Paul's words that (laughs) without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. So that just might be a point of reflection for us on Wednesday. But again, our point of emphasis will be what this movie did for us and how it might have encouraged us to go deeper in our faith. That's going to probably be the bulk of our reflection. Now, all of that being said, tonight we are going to jump back into the book of Genesis. I think what I'm going to do is start with chapter 18. We more or less got through all of chapter 17 last week. So uh, this evening again, chapter 18, I think we are going to take it to verse 15 today. That's the the natural stop, if you will, where Abraham and Sarah encounter God and, and the promise of their son Isaac. And then, of course, with verse 16, we have Abraham interceding for Sodom. So tonight will be about Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, and tomorrow will be about Abraham's intercession for Sodom. There's some fascinating things going on there, things that I very much look forward to talking about. Now, that being said, let us just jump into these verses. Again, this is chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. And as I read these verses, my friends, pay close attention to the interaction going on. Hopefully you have already read these verses, but if you've not, pay close attention to the dialogue that takes place, especially towards the end of these verses. All right, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and and rest yourselves under the tree while I fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and 
make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you in the spring, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you in the spring, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Mm. Let me tell you, my friends, there is a lot in these verses. I read these verses, and I reread these verses, and I reread these verses. So what I would suggest, my friends, is here you have two major points to discuss. First of all, the hospitality with Abraham and Sarah for the three men. And then, of course, this back and forth between Abraham, Sarah, and God as it relates to bearing Isaac. Okay, so let's really look at some of these verses. Uh, Verse 2. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. He didn't wait for them to come to him. No, he recognized God for who he is, and he ran to God. He ran to these three men. These three men identified in the context as who but Yahweh and two of his angels. So he ran to them. He didn't wait for them. In many ways, he kind of imitates the prodigal father, where the prodigal father ran to his son. Now, what's interesting, allegorically speaking, is we typically look at the prodigal father as God the Father, right? Running to us. Well, in this case, we have a bit of an inversion. The servant, the faithful servant is what? But imitating the father in running out, going out to meet God the Father. And what do we have to learn from this? But brothers and sisters, when someone comes to our home, when someone comes to greet us, We run out to meet them because whoever comes to us, whoever we receive as a guest, we go out to meet them. We go out to meet them. And I love Abraham and Sarah's hospitality here, huh? I love it. And Abraham hastened into the tent of Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. What's the business of Abraham then running back in, hastening back in? The urgency of hospitality. The the urgency that comes with being a servant of God. Making things hospitable for those who, who come to you. Hospitality is about preparing. Preparing with a sense of purpose, right? Abraham is driven, so he hurries. He, he hastens. The sense of purpose. I was marveling at my wife yesterday. We had a bunch of people over for uh, Easter Sunday. 
And I just watched her, you know, in her element, preparing just not the meal we had, but also all of the hors d'oeuvres. You know, I was out in the backyard grilling, doing my thing, but just kind of from a distance watching her. There's something about the virtue of hospitality that is so life-giving, huh? It really is. And oh, by the way, my friends, where does that word come from but the Latin hospitalitas? Hospitalitas translates as friendliness to guests. Well, how are you friendly to guests but to first prepare a place for them, right? Incidentally, the, the genitive root there to hospitalitas is hospitas, which means host, to host, right? What do we call the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, but the hosts of heaven? Why? Because God was the first host. What was the first thing that God did? But created earth that it might be hospitable, right? And what did he find? That it was good, very good. He wanted to first make us feel at home. And this is what hospitality is all about. This is what service is all about. In preparing just not the meal, but also the home, you know, the whole craft family came together. We kind of did a pregame huddle, right? And said, okay, break, you here, you there. Hospitality is about opportunity, opportunity to serve. And praise God for such a, a virtue, this virtue of hospitality that we see in spades here going on in verses one to eight. And take note of verse eight. Then he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. There in this verse is this sense of peace, uh, deep satisfaction. You know how you prepare something and you go out of your way. There's just this sense of peace, satisfaction. And, and why do I bring this up? Because my friends, we are fulfilling something that is deep inside of us. If we are created in the image and likeness of God, if we are wired for God, how might we find that deep peace, that deep resolve, but when we are at service? And what I love about this verse is that sense of rest, right? That comes after the work, right? It's what did God do on the seventh day, but he rested. And so there's even something virtuous in rest when we have labored, right? And this, again, my friends, is all playing out before our very eyes in these verses. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And I slightly into it here with this verse, this pleasure that Abraham receives as he observes others enjoy in his labor. Not in some egotistical way, but just in that deep, godly way. I, I just love it. So hospitalitas, friendliness to guests, host, to be a virtuous host, a host in service, in mission. I love it. Okay, what about now verses 9 to 15? Uh, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you in the spring, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? Now what's this business with laughter? 
specifically to the name Isaac, meaning laughter. Well, let's think about this, my friends. You and I both know that there's great significance in a name, right? And certainly we could say what you see in the Old Testament time and time again is how the meaning of the name reveals this kind of divine ordination and divine purpose to what God is calling the particular person to. So what's the deal with Isaac? Isaac meaning laughter. I mean, come on, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Unless there is a deeper truth going on. And I will argue that there is a deeper truth going on. That every time you heard the name Isaac, a name that means laughter, in a culture where names mean everything, what were you going to be reminded of? This encounter, the encounter between God and Sarah in verses 11, 12, and following. I mean, let's pick this up in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? God, I mean, come on, I'm 90 years old. I went through menopause years ago. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in the spring, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. The Israelites would be reminded of, of this encounter every time they heard the name Isaac. So what would they be reminded of? The greatness of God. The greatness of God. God poses the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because he was questioning himself? Of course not. This is a rhetorical question. He knows. We've talked about this before. God doesn't ask questions for his sake, but for ours. And as he does, he wants us thinking more critically about whatever it is that he's asking us about. In this case with Sarah, he's wanting Sarah to think more critically about what's going on and saying, hey, where's your faithfulness? Now, what's really interesting is <laughs> Sarah denies this. I, I didn't laugh. Why would she say that? Well, I think there's two reasons. First off, that she laughed to herself. So she laughed within herself. The Hebrews suggest that this probably wasn't a vocal laugh per se, but an interior laugh. We do this all the time. We kind of laugh to ourselves. We say not in an audible expression, but to ourselves, that's ridiculous. That's a joke, really? I mean, come on. But God heard this. Why? Because God hears everything. Even the most remote thought he hears. So Sarah thinks that God didn't hear. I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. I heard what was inside of your heart. I heard that thought that was not audibly expressed. Because I know you to the very fiber of your being. Now, I said that there was probably two things going on here. Even if there was an audible expression, that still doesn't mean she wouldn't deny what she denied. We do that all the time, right? Ah, I didn't do that. I mean, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Our kids do it all the time. I didn't hit him. I didn't touch her. Um, I didn't go outside when you told me not to go outside, although we saw them outside, right? I mean, our kids do that all the time. And we, as sons and daughters of God, do that with God the Father all the time. 
as we bear false testimony to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Well, I, I never said that. No, I, I, I didn't mean it that way. Why do we do that in our relationship with God? Why do our children do that with us? Well, what did we read in verse 15? But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. For she was afraid. There it is, my friends, the entrapment of fear. We often think of hate as the opposite of love. And as we have noted before, I don't think that hate is the opposite of love as much as fear is the opposite of love. Because fear is that one thing that binds us. Fear and shame. Often we fear what we fear because we are ashamed of what we have done. Right? So fear. This is why we see up and down through both the Old and New Testament this call to what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So fear often is what drives us. But we are to overcome our fears. And we do this by what does Paul say in Romans 8.15? You have not received the spirit of slavery in which you fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father. We claim the rights that we possess in our baptism by crying to God, Abba, Father. I am a child, and I know I am weak. I know that I have failed you. Make me strong again in you. This is our cry. This is our cry. It's interesting, as I'm talking about this right now, I can't help but think of the exchange between Mary and the angel Gabriel, right? One that very much resonates with the narrative we are talking about this evening. What do we read in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37? When Gabriel, this great archangel, greets Mary with this extraordinary news that she is to be the mother of God, what does he say to her? For with God, nothing is impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. That, that is an echo of chapter 18, verse 14, is it not? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I wonder if Mary heard that verse, heard those words from the angel Gabriel as an echo of Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. I believe she probably did. And, and what was that first proclamation to Mary? What have we been talking about? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear what God is asking you. He will give you the strength. Mary, somewhat like Sarah, was wondering, but she took it deeper. She wasn't doubting God, right? She was seeking understanding. There's a difference there, right? When we hear the word question today, we tie it to doubt, huh? And that probably is a secular definition to the word question, to doubt. When in reality, the Latin best translates as to seek to understand, to quest, right? Question is to quest, to seek to understand. It's not so much that one doesn't believe in something as, as much as one is seeking to better understand something, or in this case, someone. Sarah doubted. Mary is seeking to understand. And of course, 
the, the beautiful response of Mary is, let it be to me. Let it be to me. A Greek phrase that translates as this robust, joyful, ardent response, right? I'm enthusiastic about doing your will. So much to be said here when you start comparing this narrative with that of the one we read about in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Luke. What about those last words to the last verse when God said, No, but you did laugh. Don't play games with me. Don't play games with me. As a father, there's very few things that get me upset more than than when my child says I didn't do something when they did it. It's a great test of patience for me. And often all I have to say is, no, but I saw you do this, or I I saw you do that. And in the way that I say it and how I say it, I usually have my my children's attention. Always in love, always in love. God the Father says to us, my friends, no, you did that. No, you did laugh, because I know the secrets of your heart. And here, my friends, is really the crown jewel of this whole narrative, and that is the virtue of truthfulness. Do not pretend to be someone that you are not. Don't put up all of these false pretenses that we then spend weeks and months and years protecting. Just be who you are. And when you are who you are called to be, oh, how God shines upon you as he shines within you. God knows us better than we know ourselves. We are not fooling anyone, my friends. So just be that person. Understand that you have been given strengths and gifts, but at the same time, weaknesses and even to some degree, limits. Not that you don't challenge your weaknesses to to reach new heights, but we do sometimes have to recognize what we can do and what we can't do. But in that everyday rhythm, everyday affair with God, we have to understand that it all starts with being true with who we are. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a phenomenal piano player if I've never played the piano. But maybe I play the game of basketball well. Maybe I relate to a particular person well. Tap into those strengths. Use those strengths for the glory of God, whatever that that might be. And be mindful that God sees us for who we are, as he knows us better than we know ourselves. And as he knows us better than we know ourselves, his deepest desire then is to reveal to us who we are called to be. Just being true to self. And as we are true to self, certainly we will then give room and space for God to do extraordinary things in our life, as he certainly did an extraordinary thing in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Okay, amen, amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of this beautiful chapter, chapter 18, these 15 verses that afforded us the opportunity to reflect into some important questions that we wrestle with every day uh, and realities and principles that we are called to embrace in our relationship with you every day. Give us the grace that we might live a more fruitful life, bringing you glory in all 
that we do and all those people we meet. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.